This is the More to the Story podcast with Dr. Andy Miller. We hope you guys enjoyed today's conversation. Hey, friends. Welcome to the More to the Story podcast. Today, I'm excited that we have Dr. Alice McKenzie on the podcast. She is a great leader and teacher in the study of preaching, and you'll get that really clearly on this podcast. Could you just take a minute and like this podcast or share it or or subscribe to us on whatever channel you're on, if it's YouTube or if you're checking this out on one of the podcast apps, that would be really helpful to us. Also, you can sign up for our email list at andymillerthird.com. You'll find a tab there, and that will give you more information. And, and we'd love to get your feedback. We'd love it if you could even give a review of us um, and this podcast online on Apple's iTunes and that type of thing. That really helps spread the impact of what we're trying to do through the More to the Story podcast. We're really thankful, too, that Keith Waters and WPO Development are stepping up to plate as our first sponsors for this podcast. Keith and his team lead people through mission planning studies, strategic plans, and capital campaigns. And I worked with him when I served in Tampa. He did a great job in leading that campaign. And he says this, and he would say it in front of donors and other people, and he really helped us crystallize this in our own work. He says, if you don't know where you're going, any path will take you there. Isn't that true? WPO development really comes alongside of their clients and helps people develop a plan, execute it, and they can go all the way up to a place of managing a capital campaign. So I hope you'll check them out at info at wpodevelopment.com, or you can Google them too to find out more information. They work all over the country. They come to you. They do great work. And I have benefited from their work, and that's why I'm willing to have them advertise at this very moment. So check out today's podcast coming up now with Dr. Alice McKenzie. God bless you. Welcome to the More to the Story podcast with Dr. Andy Miller. I'm delighted that you're joining us today. And if you are new to the More to the Story podcast, I'd ask you to subscribe to this YouTube channel or to the podcast platform that you're using. We're really excited today to have on the podcast with us, Dr. Alice McKenzie. McKenzie, Alice, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. Hello, everybody. There you go. Well, mm-hmm. Alice serves as the Levon Professor of Preaching and Worship at Southern Methodist University's um, Perkins School of Theology. And some of you who know me know that I attended there, and I was one of Alice's students. So thankfully, she's I, still willing to come back on, even after she graded a few sermons. Of <laughs> he was a very good student. You'll not be well, thank you very much. You're welcome. It's one of these things that it's... Uh, the preaching portion of any curriculum is one that kind of gets to the fact of you finally moved to the so what, like, well, what do I do with this? And how do I proclaim it? And how do I proclaim these truths that I've been studying for so long? And so I think it's interesting that you serve in this role and you've been doing it for a while as a professor of preaching and in worship for that matter. But it's not like you set that out as a goal, probably as a college student or even entering the ministry in the first place. I mean, generally people don't say, I want to be a preaching professor. So right. could you tell us a little bit about your journey to, sure. toward, in, to ministry and even towards this vocation? Sure. Well, to, to be, I won't drag this out too long, but I yeah. do in light of, of the Salvation Army's emphasis on the warmed heart, the fiery yes. faith, right? Yes. Uh, it was a pastor named Granis Hooper who was, had been a science teacher who okay. converted um, or, or decided to be a Methodist pastor in Pennsylvania. And he brought my parents into this Methodist church, although they were Lutheran when I was a little baby, okay. baptized me. And then as time went on in various circumstances, he actually was the pastor who brought my husband's parents into another church in Pennsylvania. And in the course of time, I met my husband in that church. Wow. So we attribute our marriage to Greta Supert. And I also I also think to myself, when I think about um, someone who is just suffused with the joy of the Lord yes. uh, when he would preach, uh, wow. I, I think of him. And so I believe preaching has power and my call to ministry probably began very early uh, in my wow. life, thanks to him and others. So anyway, as as time went on, I felt a call to ministry in um, high school. Okay. Uh, very strong. Wow. Um, didn't really want to do it, but it was weird for a woman to do that. Right, <laughs> right. Really avoid it. So went on to college and then seminary. And uh, when I was appointed to a church in Pennsylvania, in York, Pennsylvania, okay, I remember looking out over the congregation, and they had this, you know, um, the difference between hungry and hangry. <laughs> <laughs> There's there's hangry and there's hungry yes. and then there's right. hungry. 
<laughs> hungry. And there's this look of these upturned faces that people are hungry or hungry for the word of God. Right. And I thought to myself, okay, I've had one course in preaching. I kind of know a few things, but there must be additional knowledge that I could learn. I could hone this so that I could meet this need. Yes. And uh, so it gradually emerged from that journey. And I then went on to study advanced preaching at Princeton. Okay. To begin teaching preaching. So somewhere in there, you recognize this, this hunger that people have while you were serving in a church and you knew you wanted to do something more with that. Right. You knew that you needed to, you needed, and you you only had one preaching class before then. Uh huh. Wow. (laughs) And I started preaching um, before I went to seminary, which was not a good sequence. I know. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure uh, you get to hear many people's first messages. Right. And so that, uh, I remember while I was in seminary, I had its progression, and it was kind of an interesting moment. I um, and, and I went to Asbury Theological Seminary, and I thank God for their curriculum, and I'll soon be teaching at Wesley Biblical Seminary, and I'll see how I get to be a part of that curriculum. But I re, uh, they, do, they reserved the preaching classes at that time. I don't know if it's still the case, until you've already taken uh, Greek and Hebrew and a couple of exegesis courses and a couple of hermeneutic courses, and the idea is you need to learn what you can say before you learn how to say it. And, True, and yeah. so, but I still, because I was a seminary student and I wasn't serving a church at the time, was asked to preach. And so hmm. I got up and gave a 45 minute, I'll say lecture, more of a lecture on the significance of Balaam and Balak. And oh, wow. I remember one line uh, that I would never have now. I said, I concur with Gerhard von Rod on this. <laughs> That's enough to tell you what the sermon was like. Oh, and God. so I, I, I worked my way through it. Um, but all that, I was very dangerous at that point. You know, like yeah. uh, early on in the curriculum, I'm glad that I, I waited a little bit. And then eventually I had some cl- classes with Dr. Ellsworth Callis and I, I learned right. a little bit more of what they yeah. do. Yeah, it's a process. It is. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I have a friend and she says, I'm going to move my camera over a little. No problem. Okay. I can see you better. I have a friend who says she she would like to have issued a recall on all those poor people that heard her sermons in her first her first uh, few Sundays. But oh well, the Holy Spirit kind of does the damage control. I hope. Amen. Yeah. So I think we can certainly count on that. That you know, through all this, even and our imperfections, and and I'm sure if I was to look back at how I'm going to preach this Sunday in a few years, I'm sure I would have some cringe moments myself. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I think it's Kierkegaard. Didn't he say that we have you have to live life forwards, but you understand it backwards? No, oh, wow. Something to that effect, which is true. So this guy, this man who was your pastor, and then eventually your husband's mm-hmm. uh, pastor too, mm-hmm. there was something about his warm-hearted experience that really drew you in. I mean, that right. Tell right. me a little bit more about him. I, I'm really I, I don't remember you saying that, and I thought I think yeah. it's interesting you bring him up in light of the Salvation Army. Like I, I sense right. like maybe right. think. Similar right. spirit in him. Yeah, well, I was um, I was looking on your um, on the site. I know a bit about the Salvation Army, and I I included Catherine Booth in my book. Oh, good. And, uh, you know, know um, know about the traditions, but I was looking at a few of your historic figures and um, thinking about this theme of fire of warmth, because you know yeah. John Wesley had this uh, on um, it's, it's May twenty fourth, seventeen thirty eight. He had his Alders Day experience when his heart right. was strangely warm. Right. And the, the whole pietistic warmth of faith. Yeah. And then Samuel uh, Logan Brangle. Yes. He, I read that he uh, believed that those who seek God burst into flame when they first touch God and bring those left out in the cold to God's light. Yes. I started thinking about that and John Wesley and my own experience in high school of the sense of warmth and assurance. And I thought, you know, it's Grandis. Uh, and I may not know all the details of his biography, but I do know that he was he was a very genuine person. He he preached in a very, um, I would say, you know, it takes some understanding to preach in a way that's deep and yet clear. Yes. So he yes. didn't use eloquent. Uh, he didn't use he was eloquent, but he didn't use esoteric language to prove to how smart he was or how learned he uh, was. And he just I just remember his face, even as a child. It just he he just not like the transfiguration or Moses yeah. on the mountain, but he just glowed with a, <clears throat> a sense of joy. I would say that would be what it was. Wow. He was just, he just had joy. 
Wow. And I think that's so, so needed today. Right. <laughs> we really need joy. And you bring up Grengle, and um, I've got, you know, you and I have never had that conversation. Though you have, when I was in Arlington, Arlington, Texas, you came and preached right. at our core twice, and you came and preached to um, a room full of my bell ringers, too. That right. was I remember that. So you had 100 people who were ready to go out, and you charged them for the day, you know. So right. that was a good experience for me. But So you know a little about the Salvation Army, but you and I have never had a conversation about Brengel. And he, he's often thought of kind of like this scholarly tradition within the Salvation Army. He wrote books on entire sanctification and he interesting like that you bring up assurance in his life because there's a there's a, a book uh a scholarly treatment of his life and teaching by a man named david reitmeyer who's a professor at asbury university and mentor of mine he um said that what brengel brought was um a renewed emphasis on the witness of the spirit or assurance mm-hmm. in the life of the follower of christ and so um the the, the booths themselves uh had a, a little bit of the Phoebe Palmer emphasis of a kind mm-hmm. of altar phraseology that entered into their theology. There's uh, nothing wrong with that, but what what uh, Reitmeyer shows is that Brengel kind of brought back this more Wesleyan emphasis of the uh, assurance or the witness of mm-hmm. the Spirit. Right, 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 right. The uh, quote <clears throat> that are ascribed to John Wesley that we're not really sure. Can't, I can't find where he said that, but but one of them is his definition of preaching is I set myself on fire and people come to watch me burn. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. So he also is purported to have said God does not call the equipped, but God equips the called. Oh, now interesting. I didn't know that that was purported uh, yeah. to him. I can't find it, but it does supposedly. So well, anyway, it, it, the whole notion of warmth and, um, yeah. and um, I think that that is... Um, that is one thing that people really want in among others in their in their preaching is to to um to sense that the preacher believes what she's saying and it really makes a life or death difference to her so that comes that and that can come through in a lot of different ways like some people come into the room and they just like they're so effervescent so charismatic in the sort of stereotypical way and other people I've heard preachers who are maybe a little stumbling and not not so suave, right. but who have this intensity and who have thought deeply. And that's another kind of charisma, I think. Right. There's yeah. di- different type of energies that we can bring. And it, it's interesting, you know, you know, you probably hear a lot, a lot of the ways that people talk about preaching. And there's a lot of phrases that people use and characterize preaching. I, I, I struggle with some of them because, like, for instance, like the nebulous term exegetical or Heart filled, or right. of course, I want to be an exegetic. Spirit led, right? Spirit, Spirit led. led, right? Yeah, like you're, and and when when the compliments are coming to me, yeah, I, I'll take them all, right? Yeah, but the yeah. Is, is that right. when people come and compare me to somebody else, they say, right. "Well, he's really a, a spirit led preacher." And right. nobody has actually said that, but yeah. well, well, I'm like, sure they will. <laughs> these yeah. phrases, you never know what you're going to get. Yeah. Well, the one that I always found found sort of amusing is when people say, "Well." You know, uh, she is um, spirit filled because she doesn't have any notes. Okay. And I'm thinking, well, you know, just because someone doesn't have any notes, sometimes, you know, you might like to run up to the front and hand somebody some notes. (laughs) Right? Right? Yeah. I mean, just because I don't have any notes, if I haven't prepared clearly and have some depth, I might just be the rambling rose. Right? Right. So there are all kinds of different ways, you know, different aids to memory and um, different forms of, of, I would say, embodying presence in preaching. Right. So. I, I would love, you, you've, you've written a few books, we're going to talk about one here in a, in a few minutes, but sure. one of the books that you talked, that um, you were in the process of writing while I was studying with you was novel preaching. And, I, right. and this idea of storytelling is so connected to your style and the like, kind of the emphasis that you brought even into the homiletical academy academic community. Mm-hmm. I found yeah. that to be so helpful. But I, I, I wanted, before I get to that, I'm interested, there was this uh, story you told of when you were in a doctoral seminar, um, how you started, you you came in, I think you know what I'm talking about, you came in late to a course. Yeah, but then, I did. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. It's okay. I, I try to blame my children, but it really wasn't their fault. Oh, okay. <laughs> but there was something that, that happened that even set you on a trajectory for some of the writing that you've done. Could you tell us that? Oh, sure. So that was back in graduate school a long, long time ago 
right. to how long ago, <laughs> but I was, uh, it was a course in, what was it called? It was called um, Interpreting Old Testament Texts for Contemporary Congregations. How's that? Okay. So we were looking at all the different genres of Old Testament literature. So there's apocalyptic and there's what else? There was Psalms and there were, there were um, the narratives, the prophecies. So I came in, um, and if you've ever been to Princeton Seminary, you'll know Stuart Hall, which is like this dark, dark stone building, and you you know kind of trudge up the steps. I was holding my then so-called portable computer, which only weighed twelve pounds, <laughs> a long time ago. So I get up to the top, and uh, and I come into class, and they're passing around a clipboard. <laughs> Look at this, I have a visual aid clipboard. Oh, there you go. This is not the same one. But they were passing it around, and it had the names of, of the different genres and people had signed up. And we only had, I think, maybe maybe three weeks to write a 30-page paper on that genre. So everything had been uh, lapped up except for one lone uh, genre, which was biblical proverbs. Mm. Because, you know, who wants that, right? right so sure. uh, I had a friend, Scott, Scott Black Johnson. He's still a friend, but he... He uh, elbowed me and he says, uh, good luck getting a, getting a sermon out of a one-liner, Mackenzie. <laughs> and so that was really where the storytelling thing took off because, you know, I went home and I started reading the Proverbs. Right. And I'm thinking, oh, gosh. I remembered Will Willman once said that reading the book of Proverbs is like going on a long road trip with your mom. <laughs> And I've as heard parents, some of the proverbs before. Yeah, uh, as as parents, we we think that any child of ours would benefit from a long road trip with us, right? <laughs> Our wisdom. But at any rate, I started reading through them, and and there were things like um, like um, as one who grabs a passing dog by the ears, so is he who meddles in the quarrel of another. Mm. Uh, what else? Uh, there are some gross proverbs that involve vomit <laughs> and dogs, which I don't have to go into, but very earthy. Uh, there's one about the soft answer turns away wrath, a harsh word stirs up anger. And then there's one that really, really got me. And that is, um, there is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is death. Wow. I thought, whoa. And so these are, these are little stories based on people. They're the sages observing patterns in everyday life. So the next morning I read a couple of them to my daughter who was then, I think she was seven. And she said, um, she said, well, she seemed very underwhelmed. <laughs> she said, well, she said, that's just what everybody already knows, only in words you can picture. Oh, wow. Awesome. And I thought, all right, Read Rebecca, that's these just are what words you already know. These, this is just what, this is the way a seven-year-old expresses her underwhelmment. Right. <laughs> with, she said, that's just what people, everyone already knows, only in words you can picture. And I thought, oh, there you go. <laughs> and that kind of got me going. I thought, man. We need words we can picture. That's what people need in our visual culture, not to jump ahead to the next book, but. Yes. So the the Proverbs really are, if you can hear it, like even the one about the dog, right? Right. Grabbing the dog. That's a, um, like a freeze-dried story, right? That's just a very condensed story. And we've all probably had experiences where maybe we meddle just a little bit and somebody else's business because we just couldn't help ourselves. So. And you, you know, that story, yeah. gave that illustration, I kind of yeah. was imagining what that's like, and I felt a little slobber hit my face. Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. Now, of course, there are other times when, when we should get involved. You know, we can't be a bystander watching someone get abused or something. Right, right, right. So they're just, it takes wisdom to decide in what context you're going to set this in your life. But it, anyway, your, your question about stories, that's kind of how it all got rolling. Interesting. And, and, yeah. and, Interesting too. I think I had even heard um, you brought up a, a well-known African American preacher. I don't know if it was Frank Thomas or somebody like that um, who you introduced me to, uh, and I don't ever met that person. You just introduced me to their writing and preaching. But they even made a like kind of a liberationist point from that story. Like they're like when everybody else was rejected, everybody else right. took this, and it was the the mom oh. who was going through <laughs> graduate school. Took this and yeah. and now what yeah. she do? She's written several books. Yeah, that was Evans Crawford of late, oh, okay. uh, late memory. And he, um, I sat next to him on a bus one time at our annual meeting, and he had made a great deal of that in his mind, <laughs> which is fine. And he felt that it was providence. Yeah. And I thought, all right, all right, I'm not going to argue with that. <laughs> That's right. Whatever, whatever you like to. It, who am I to say? Right. 
taking advantage of those those moments that you have and the, the opportunity to engage people's senses is such a, a key thing. I think even what I picked up from you was like not missing an opportunity to shed a, a little different light on a particular scene that's developed, even when you're just telling a story in the pulpit. Um, right. I, I like engaging the senses seems to be something that yes. like, you emphasize quite a bit. Can you talk a little more about that? Right. Well, we, um, our emotions follow our senses. Okay. And so I can, and that's a good bit of what the, where is the book? I have it here. Here it is. Uh, that's a good bit of what it's about and the novel preaching as well. And that is that there's a difference between my telling you an anecdote. Right. Um, Okay, so I was standing out in front of my house and uh, I was watering my flowers and blue angels went over and it was just really cool. Right. right? You're like, wow, okay. That sounds nice, yes. Yeah. So, but if I added in a few little sensory details, if I can do this, uh, this was, and it was in honor of the, um, the um, first responders. This was months ago. Oh, okay, okay. The flyover in honor, in their honor. So I'm out there. Uh, so I'm out. Um, I'm out watering my my um, my zinnias, and uh, I'm just transfixed by the, the each petal. You know, the yellow petals as I'm looking down, and and suddenly I hear this this buzzing sound overhead, and and I look up, and and there they are, flying in perfect formation, and and I know because I read the news why they're flying over and i i drop my head just for a moment and i say a prayer of thanks mm. so that's just a little little more so so and of course this is a blurry distinction between an anecdote and a scene but but i after i, I told in the book about the question that was asked to me at the end of my lectures based on this book okay yeah when this um is it okay to talk about that now yeah, yeah let's go yeah it's fine so uh, your, your new book is uh yeah well, I'll just one reference. Yeah. So at the end of my lectures on these books, you know how sometimes you've thought about something for so long that something very obvious just <laughs> messes you up. So this yeah. person asked me a question at the end of it. What's the difference between a scene and a story? And I kind of did a ba 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 ba. But I, I started thinking, okay, what is the difference between a scene and a story? A scene is a segment of a bigger story. Right. And it's different from an anecdote in that, I think anyway, uh, it, it relives rather than retells. And, and as I thought about it, it's got a steroidal injection of dialogue, drama, and what? Detail. How about that? Steroidal injection of... Steroidal, like steroids. Well, yeah, I'm just using yeah, that yeah. as a metaphor. Like, let's like just... It. On steroids, you know, we're gonna, right, right. we're gonna, maybe it's not politically correct, but anyway. No, I got you. Vitamin I, I, mix, vitamin mix. It's, <laughs> got, it's got drama, it's got detail, sensory detail, like you say. Yeah. You're absolutely right to key into that because that's what, that's what it makes the difference between people standing on the porch of your sermon and people being invited into the house. Wow. So There's come no, on in. And I'm not the first one to come up with this idea. I mean, it's, I'm just putting it slightly differently. But yeah. sensory detail, and then the thing is, with sensory detail, it'll kill a story if there's too much, right? Right. That's Absolutely. when I'm, if I'm at, at a party. Kentucky sunset comes around me, and as I move forward, this sweat yeah. comes from, I mean. Yeah, yeah my, as I, you know, adjust my pink and whatever, red and white scarf, who cares? Yeah. Um, so um, the uh, several years ago, I invited a novelist to come talk to the Academy of Homiletics. Okay. Chicago. And so she came and she talked. The whole lecture was about something she called CSD, which is not a any kind of medical syndrome, but it stands for concrete significant detail. Okay. She says that the the secret of a novelist, and she was offering this for us preachers, is right. that you when you tell stories, you have concrete detail. Yeah. So it's not just I was out watering my flowers and Wow, the, the flyover was so inspiring. Well, okay. Yeah, sure. I'm going to run down to the altar and give my life to Jesus. That right, so, sure. So moving. But it ha you have to concrete, and it has to be significant. And so depending upon what point I wanted to make with that little scenario, I would emphasize one thing or another, right? 
I would add details. And so it's really important for preachers to be clear on why we're telling a particular story. Because, right. you know, when you're on preaching, you probably have used the same story, maybe to in a couple different contexts. Right. When I get the chance to go someplace else. And now in my, my fifth year uh, in Tampa, closing out my fifth year, right. I can maybe slip in a, a really good old story. You know, Why not? Why not? Right. Well, really good stories are worth worth retelling. Right. But, but the point being, there, there's also something called the MIT, which stands for the most important thing. Mm. And that is the preacher needs to be really clear on why am I telling you this? Mm. Right, and so it need I need to be telling you this story because it fits in with the theme of my sermon. Right, right. It's not. It's like if 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 I'm at a party, I'll put myself in the role of being. I'm telling you we're at a social event, and and you're trying to get away from me because I'm telling you this long, boring story. Okay, and it's boring because for one thing, you don't care, and for another, it's too detailed. And so what you start doing is, I know you'd be too polite to do this, but you oh. would start looking around behind me for other people that might tell a better story, right? Yeah. yeah. So we don't want we don't want this body language when people are sitting in the pew, like, why are you telling us this? Right, right, absolutely. And you can read those emotions. It's like uh, people, I, there's somebody I know who will, well, we don't give directions anymore, but this person's still alive. Um, and when he would give directions back when, before we had GPS so available to us, right. he would say, okay, you're going to go down this road. You're going to pass McDonald's on, on the right. Disregard that. Keep going. <laughs> you're gonna pass, like, okay. <laughs> okay, well, wait. <laughs> so that's a great example. Why do, don't even tell me about that. <laughs> right, right. I, I don't need to know. Please don't tell, don't tell me. Disregard it. <laughs> What to disregard? Yeah, yeah. I like to in the story you use the blue angel. Something else that uh, you clued me into. I, I'm sorry to say, I always I, when I used when Barnes and Noble and those type of stores were more uh, around, I would see this book. I haven't quite bought it yet. Maybe today I'll finally feel convicted enough to do it. But you uh, opened my eyes to Stephen King's book uh, yeah. on writing, uh -huh. and, and you did something from the my, my favorite lines from that that you shared with me was uh, make them wait. Mm -hmm. Make them wait, like to slow, right. like don't let them. And when you retold the story of the blue angels off the top of your head, uh -huh. you didn't tell me what the sound was, uh -huh. right? You just said that kind of like I, I heard it through the air, and then uh -huh. you finally you you get right. to that point. But right. I think there's something to that too. With um, even with the the theme of this podcast, the name of it, there's more to the story, right? right? If you give people too much too soon, you say today I'm going to talk about this. And I'll do right. that by illustrating this in three ways. And it happens right. to all have the same title. And then after that, I'll close out and then I'll pray and I'll tell God what I told you. I right. mean, like, you have all these points you have to figure out. Like, But instead, like in creating an atmosphere where people are anticipating something and, and then you kind of give it to them. So I've, try, I've tried to keep right. that in mind. It's not, it's not easy. It's right. not, I actually did that accidentally, just telling that off the top of my head. But maybe it's habit. <laughs> maybe and, it's habit. <clears throat> one one other really um, really clear example, if it's okay. Please, uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. So the other thing, uh, in addition to making people wait, is the, uh, give them something to do, give them something to figure out. So okay. in in the book, I have this story. That's a, uh, I'm not sure how well known a story it is, and I won't read the whole thing. But it's from Dr. Theodore Parker Ferris, who was a um, preacher in Boston, in an old downtown church, and he tells the story of of um, being in his office one morning on a Monday and his administrative assistant said, hey, there's a young guy out here who wants to talk to you. And yes. he said, oh, okay. And so this young man comes in and sits across from him. And uh, he says, um, he says, uh, I want to thank you, Dr. Ferris, for saving my life. Mm. And Dr. Ferris says, well, you know, I've never met you before. I don't know how that's possible. And then the young guy says, well, I've suffered from depression for years. And on Sunday night, I was walking down the street. I was heading toward the Charles River with my pockets full of rocks. Mm. And I looked over, I saw the lights on in the sanctuary. On a whim, I just came in. I sat behind the pillar at the back. And what you said that night changed my life. Wow. So now I don't have to tell, I could say I was heading toward the Charles River with my pockets full of rocks because I've been really depressed lately and I was going to kill myself. Mm, right, right. You didn't need to say that. Isn't it more powerful too? Right. That's like disregard the McDonald's. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. Disregard that. Um, 
But that's just so, so, so small a thing, but it, it's satisfying. It's like, oh, we get it. Hi. Oh, we, oh, we see why you're going. Why else does someone, he's not a rock collector. Right. right. I love it. So little, little things like that. It keeps people busy. Like it makes, it, yes. it gives me something to. Part your brain to another. Right. And it is really an art in preaching because I think, especially these days, people do need something a little more direct than Fred Craddock's kind of spinning of stories and trusting that people can contextualize them. They need right. more direction because we don't know the Bible that well. And right. you know, we need, I think we need a little more hand in the back of the small of the back, maybe, or pulled along. But there's a there's an art to leaving people something to do, something to figure out while offering guidance. Right. And now, it's, is that in part what you're trying to get to, the, uh, this art in, of creating a scene in uh, the, your new book, which is mm-hmm. Don't Make a Scene? Wait, wait, wait make, it, make sure I have it right. Oh, I'm sorry. Make, making make, a scene in the pulpit. Right. Making a scene in it. Maybe because like, uh, I, I think of it with this idea of, um, you know, we're normally thinking uh, to my kids who, who don't, knows, they don't can come, make a they scene. come in here any minute. Right, uh, right. Don't make a scene. Don't it's make okay a scene. if they do. Yeah. So, but you're saying uh, we we need to make scenes. Right. And the reason that I'm saying that, I thought this was pretty apt. Um, I start the book out like this, that we often hear that, like if a mom says that to her child at, top, at um, Target, right? Right. Because you take kids into Target and immediately they're on... <laughs> on this consumer high. And um, they even play music at these stores that make it's calculated to make you want to buy things. Interesting. Yeah. And it works. So, so don't make a scene or it could be like a lawyer to a client on the way into the courtroom. Let me do the talking. You know, you keep quiet to make a scene, any of those scenarios. Um, I remember one time at a restaurant, the couple at the table next to me was about to really get into it. And uh, one of them leaned over to the other. It was one of those restaurants where the tables are too close before COVID. Right. And um, the one leaned up forward and said to the other one, you know, not here. Don't make a scene. And I, I was like, oh, here's the perfectly fine place. <laughs> you know, oh, this could be right. fine. Please. I'm interested. <laughs> yeah. That's, go, carry on. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you want to get people's attention. There it is. Yeah. That, don't, don't mind me. I've had one course in seminary and counseling. Perhaps I could be a assistant. <laughs> the whole idea is that when we say don't make a scene, what we're saying is don't draw bystanders into our drama. Wow. When we preach, wow. we are specifically trying to draw bystanders because not everybody's going to be sitting there hanging on every word, which is another issue, but we're trying to draw people into our drama. Right. Right. right? Ooh, I love that. Yeah. And, that and, preach. yeah, it does preach. I was talking to a woman who teaches um, advertising at SMU. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, she, her name's Carrie LaFurl, and she and my colleague Wes Allen have just come out with a book called Preaching in the 30-Second Commercial. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So she, uh, I remember one time she said to me after a meeting, we were chatting, and she said that that advertising is kind of like preaching because in a in an ad, you got a brief time, right. and you're trying to um, get people to invite your product into their daily lives. Mm-hmm. Right? So... That's exactly what you want to do. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to draw people into it. It's a drama is what we have. Right. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of theological assumptions to that too, that we're saying that we have, there's a story happening and what the task of preaching is, is to bring people into that drama. Like, yeah, there's a lot going on and we'd even be old enough in in my tradition to say that everybody is a sinner. And like yep. as such, like that creates significant drama. And right. like if we really believe in a reality of some type of eternal reality, eternal existence, like that's dramatic. Okay, there there might right. be if there's right. a heaven and a hell. We're gonna dis- if we're gonna say that, then there's drama. Let's there's get drama. some people in. There's drama, and there is a narrative arc. And so it, there's creation, there's fall, there's redemption, and there's right. recreation. So you've got your narrative arc. Right. Right so what we're trying to do is to get people, uh, as David Buttrick once said, I'm paraphrasing, he said, um, he said in preaching, uh, we are um, we are encouraging people to place their 
shrunken, self-centered little stories <laughs> into a bigger story hmm. that I'm going to quote him so you Go can ahead. edit this out if necessary, uh, into right. a bigger story that has a lot better opening and a whole hell of a lot better ending than the one that they're writing by themselves. Sure. <laughs> so it's a redemptive ending. Right. So we're inviting people into a, a story that that um, God has promised will God has like this unthwartable plan of redemption. Right. Amen. So it's, it's a drama that we that deserves invitation in any way we can offer it. Now, your book made me think of David Buttrick, and, and maybe I'm wrong, with his uh, emphasis on like kind of video cameras and angles and, and scenes. He talks about that. He talks Ooh, about That's it. That's yeah, a language. Right. Mm -hmm. You have different moves within this sermon. Yeah. What's, what's different from what you're yeah. doing than what Probably he, um, he has in his book, Homiletic, which came out right when I started um, in ministry, actually, my first year of preaching in 1980. And he has a lot of rules. It's based on a philosophical school called phenomenology and he has all these very very specific rules for how you open and how many images in each one and so mine's not nearly that um what granular i guess right. okay but it still has it still has the quality of rather than an outline that goes like this right number one number two right, number three right, right. it's really more like a musical score that moves across time like this and it moves from here to here to here. So the similarity is that there is a through line. There is like a golden thread that weaves, pulls the whole way through. Right. Uh, that is a similarity, but I don't, I, I don't abide by all the specifics that he right. he does. He starts with the same with a sentence and ends with the same one. And um, but I am I am grateful to, to him for right. his work. Yeah. Now you 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 addressed earlier like that you had a question like so what is what is this difference? And maybe you answered this earlier, but I like just have it repeated if necessary. What's the difference in between making a scene and telling a story? I mean, oh, this, you mentioned it earlier, but, but hit us with that again. Right. So a um, and and in some ways, it's like one of those Japanese houses where the rooms are separated, but the doors is sliding. Right. You slide them, and you can go in either way. So. So, but the distinction I'm thinking of is that a story is, well, for example, let's try try a, an example. The um, the Three Little Pigs. Okay. Right? It's a story, right? Yeah. And we all, I'm sure you could tell it to me right now with great with great enthusiasm and drama, but uh, it's got scenes, right? Right, right. So the scene is a portion or a segment of the bigger pie, right? And so a scene is a segment of a larger story. But in some ways, um, you know, when you watch a, a um, um, episodic television show that right. has, uh, they set them up m most of the time, not always, so that each one is a standalone, so that you come into it and, and find it interesting. Uh, but you also, it's part of a bigger picture. So a scene is um, an invitation into uh, a kind of bite-sized Right. Part of the story, and what I'm what I'm trying to do in the book is to uh, show us how to invite people in. I'm, I'm working on. Um, I shouldn't have taken my phone in the other room, but here's pretend this is my phone. Okay, okay. The size of my phone, my iPhone. I'm trying. I'm thinking about the fact that we've moved from this panoramic screen in our culture to to the palm size, right? And so people are preoccupied with their phones. They can. We can actually be more than one place at one time now. We can actually, I think, be nowhere at one time. Wow, interesting, yeah. So the, the goal is, the challenge is to to um, draw people into that one screen and try to keep them there. And so to me, if I can, like for example, uh, here's an example I think I have in the book uh, of drawing people into a scene. So there's a famous picture of John Wesley preaching on his father's grave <clears throat> in England. And um, um, and so one of our graduate students at Perkins went to Moscow years ago, and he was to teach a course in Wesleyan theology. And he had a translator, but he thought, you know, maybe I need some visuals to help this. So the whole semester, every every day, he would put this picture up on an easel at the front and he just kind of went through like, okay, who is this person? Sure. Where is he standing? 
who are these people? And what he did was he focused them in on this one scene, but he, he then said, okay, what happened before this that wow. came to this point? And then after this, what happened next? Wow. Right? So the scene with the man behind the pillar, that really is, that's not the whole story of this man's life, right? I'm talking about the man with his pockets full of rocks. Right, right, okay. So that's a scene. The scene is this young man in Dr. Ferris's office. Right. And, and you're being drawn into that scene. Now you could say, well, that's a story. Well, okay, if you want to say that, but sure, it's, sure. it's a, it's specific. It's, it's subservient. It's like almost a part. It's like it's meant to get you into something bigger. Like it's, it's an entryway for you right. to access something. Right, 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 right. Um, so to me, if, and you can start a sermon with a biblical scene. Um, okay. You can start it with a contemporary scene. You can start it with a histor an historical scene like the Wesley scene. Um, it's, I think the hardest is to start with a biblical scene because the most boring opening that, that I think I've offered in the past is when I stand up and say, you know, this morning I need to give you a little bit of background so that you can understand the text. And then I go on for seven minutes with the Jebusites and the Nebu, you know. And, uh, and, sure, right? yeah. so, so if I can make it into a scene, right? Like there's this sermon by Fred Craddock where he's, he makes a scene out of King Saul in the tent of the Witch of Endor. Mm. And, right. well, that's a scene. Wow. Rather than, you know, in whatever, 2000 BC, uh, King Saul put out a decree against necromancy. And it, its context was that he was in this battle with David and David had blah, 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 and da, 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 da. No, you know, here is Saul. Paul, right? right. vigorous in the prime of life. The stoop, this is Fred Craddock. I'm not yeah, this yeah. genius. The stoop shoulders in rags. A poor attempt to disguise himself. He's and he has just issued a decree, outlawing, saying that anyone who thought out magic was subject to death. Right. Here is Saul, and then he talks about the flickering darkness of the tent, her glowing face. So it's like, okay, I'm in there. Wow, I'm in there. But yeah. that I think that is one of the hardest things. If I'm going to start with scripture, I better suck people in, because people think scripture is boring. And that it's old, right? Many people. Oh, I love that. So, so, some people might feel like, "Oh, I, I hear." Okay, I hear you say it. Fred Craddock. Wow, he's a. And those of you who know Fred Craddock, people like the great storyteller, you know, right, right. pioneer and preaching. Okay, he can do that, or you can do that. Uh, I, I'm just kind of caught in my old regular ways. Like I have, right. I like having a three point sermon. I can put it right. together and get in there and get out. I know what why people want. I'm done. But, right. but what what could you say? Like help people. Beyond reading your book, which I should do. Right. Uh, no, that's okay. To, to yeah. make scene, to make like a little more. And that was so powerful for you to. And I, I, I was like in there. I was like all right. of a sudden I was transported to right. that as you're describing that. What are some things that people can do? Right. Well, what I have at the end of the book is um, I have a variety of different types of scenic sermons. Okay. Uh, but let me just see what would be a good thing to highlight. Uh, I think um, you can you can do a deductive sermon if you want to. Tell us what deductive means. Deductive would be when I start with a general statement and then I break it down. Okay. So um, um, so you start with um, here's a sermon called "Finding Faith Amid Our Fears" about how the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay. And I'm trying basically to um, to to talk about how uh, we have a lot of garden variety fears, but the scriptures offer this particular fear, and here's how we cultivate it and what it leads to. So you hear how that is kind of kind right. of a. So um, I guess maybe the difference between deductive and inductive is not all that con is not all that hard and fast. What we really do want is we want a clear line of thought. Right. Clear line of thought, and so. If you think about, um, if you think about, there's a book that talks about how points can dance. Okay. You know, and so if you think about uh, most sermons, there's a deeply embedded love of three in human psyche. The love of three, the okay. pattern of three. 
which I won't go on and on about. I wrote a little article about it one time, but it's like night, fork and spoon, sun, moon and stars, okay. life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. I can go on. Um, the three little pigs, the three bears. Anyway, you get my point. But Great. this love of three, and it shows up in patterns throughout the centuries in preaching, this three-point sermon. So that's fine. I think I think deductive sermons have gotten a bad rap, but can you put them in a sequence so that you you can't rearrange them? Right. Interesting. So that they move. So, for example, um, um, here are we have fears. Okay, we have these garden variety fears. Um, but there is one. So the Bible is always telling us to uh, don't be afraid. And yet, there's one fear that we're told throughout Scripture that we it is our life's work to cultivate. Yeah. You hear the line of thought. Right. So you start with our fears, then you move to this one biblical type of fear that we're supposed to cultivate, and then you talk about the difference that it makes. So a lot of sermons are kind of human condition, um, God's character and actions, and then a so what. I mean, it's so important to be able to like, and you helped me with this too while I was at Perkins, developing that line. To figure out where, whether it's a plot line or how we think about, it, like, what what does this have to do? This point have to do with the next. So, so, like, creating a scene isn't like. Correct me if I'm wrong here. It's not saying, okay, I'm gonna have this scene here, and it, and another scene, and uh, five scenes. But all of these scenes are part of a bigger story, meant right, to sure. follow along a path. Right, they're part of this line of thought. Yeah, I mean, what I'm doing in some ways, it's not it's not earth shaking in terms of totally new. I'm just pulling together some time-honored principles, and I am um, I'm tailoring them to uh, our shortened attention spans. Right. And our also the other thing is that there's been research about how the internet is changing our ways of thinking. Interesting. Talk to me about that, like particularly with preaching. I'm sure, right. I mean, I mean I've, I've felt that even in the last five years since I've been here in this context, much less when I was with you, you know, 10 years ago, like this is in a very different time, like people's, Attention, I mean, YouTube videos. I mean, we're on YouTube right now. Like, and I'm trying to right. do something that's going to engage people in a different way. It's affected people's. Um, right, right, right. That's why the subtitle of the book is called Vivid Preaching for Visual Listeners. Interesting. It's kind of a mixed metaphor. But but um, there's research. There's a book called The Shallows. And um, the author talks about how uh, we are in danger of losing or have lost the ability to engage in a sustained line of thought or reflection mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, because of our habit of rapid bursts of um, information seeking. I feel like going like this. And I know I'm right now I'm working on a book on uh, preaching and humor, and I try to devote a couple hours to it in the morning, and I have to really I have to turn off my outlook. I have to not search for, no, I don't need to look that up. Right, <laughs> and, right, right. Um, and, and I have to really keep, it's harder now. I think it's more tempting. It's harder for me to keep focused. Right. And I think that that's true with our listeners. So if we can uh, imagine this metaphor of the sermon as the smartphone in the screen and invite people into that one screen and keep them there. Right, interesting. Uh, so keep them there throughout. Uh, there are some sermons in the book where I actually, the, the, um, it is pretty much the same scene the whole way through. There's one where the okay. scene is a front porch. But the front porch kind of changes for, it starts out on my front porch. And then I talk about um, Jesus' front porch. It's on the parable of the um, friend at midnight. Okay, interesting. So think it, because he's at the porch knocking on the guy's door. So you keep it on the porch and keep pulling people back to the porch. Uh, so um, it, there's just so many ways. And what, what I really want to do is offer kind of a smorgasbord of possibilities right. and um, not say, oh, you have to do it this way. But but um, the scene, draw people into our drama. Right? right. Amen. Yeah. Draw people into the drama and uh, you pull out all the stops. Well, um, the metaphor of the phone, too, I think is interesting. Like you're, you're, you're holding up your hand there and I'm doing it too. Like you're bringing people. If this is the phone. Right. We're bringing right. people. Come stay with me here for a minute. Just stick stay with, with me. me. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. that I, I don't want to over, uh, you know, abuse that language, but every now and then, like I'll say, if it's something that's pre like, if it's more analytical or something that's a little deeper that might have the vocabulary that's tough. Um, and I'm aware of my audience, I might just say, hey, hang in there with me. You know, I, if you just hang with me for a few minutes here, I think right. it's 
a payoff. Right. That I can't abuse that. Like like all preachers or speakers, you know, you have lines. And if I if I said that every week, people will stop hanging. Right? They'll stop right. hanging. They will. They will. But at some point, I have to like say, "There's there's something here that I want you to be a part of." Um, if we if you'll go on this journey with me as we right. get into this right. trauma. Yeah, yeah, I do think that that's because um, when you say hang with me, you don't want to Im- imply that they are losing interest. Right, right, yes. <laughs> so that's the only trouble with that. So yeah. I have noticed so- sometimes um, one thing that that we all need to be aware of as when we're starting out is that sometimes preachers will start out with a contemporary story about themselves or right. very animated, and then they pause, and then their affect changes, and then. <laughs> And when we turn to the Bible, it's almost oh, okay, like, that's right. I'm sorry, folks, but we really have to talk about, I know the Bible's old and, you know, right, right. I know, but we have to bring it in. My life is a lot more interesting, but so um, I think uh, one thing I try, especially in Zoom preaching, it's, you know, it's important to bring your personality forward, bring the energy forward. So, but I, every now and then hang with me works. Okay. Or something like, you know, Hey, this is, this subject I know is a tough one. It's tough for me too. In a way, I'd rather not have to talk about it, but here we right, go. Right, right. So that kind of thing to, you know, some vulnerability, I think can be good. Well, and I hope that when I, whenever I do something like that, that I'm going to make it accessible enough that people might think, oh, that's not so bad. I, yeah. I, I hung with that. I'll I'll with you. This isn't so bad. I, yeah. I, I, can, I can do this, you know. Right. Yeah. You bring it up like some people are changing. I think there's that's a, a th- something I think is so important in preaching is that we don't become different people, right? Like we we re- retain our personality, right. uh, and you might like the like. There's some people who start a sermon every week with a, a joke, same way, right? Right. They, exactly. uh, something they pull off the internet or like a good funny joke, and then like then it turns into something boring. Like you get a little bit of energy from that, like, and you get some momentum, right? Or, you or you have a, a preacher's voice that's completely different from how you speak uh, with somebody. Yeah, some kind of like um, sort of a pulpit persona. Right, not right. Really, not really you. I was just trying to see if there's one here I can find real quickly. Um, okay, this one is on the um, is on the Transfiguration. Right. Okay. Now the um, you know the disciples. Um, get a, a glimpse of what's coming. Sure, yes. So so just quickly. A few years back, I was invited to teach on the parables at a Sunday school class at Highland Park United Methodist Church in Dallas. I arrived 15 minutes ahead of the class. The room began to fill mainly with women. I was greeted by one woman who told me that her name was also Alice. And then uh, another woman came up whose name was also Alice. So we're having a kind of little Alice reunion. And I noticed a woman over off to the side who seemed to be was a little forlorn and was looking around the room and um, not talking to anyone. So I invited her into our group, even though her name was Evelyn. <laughs> she could be involved. Uh, and she said, um, I, no, I said to her to make conversation, this class has been together quite a while, hasn't it? She said, yes, we started out as a couples class in the 1950s. We were called the two by two class. We still are called the two by two class, but it's time to rename ourselves as the one by one class. Oh, wow. She said, Cause, because now all of us are old and a lot of us are dead. Mm. And then realizing how that sounded, she pasted a bright smile on her face and she said, and we are so glad to have you join us. <laughs> <laughs> all of us are old and a lot of us are dead. Do you know anybody who needs a dose of 2020 resurrection foresight? Amen. So you get a little, see, yeah. that's not really a, that's not a total story because we don't know what happened to her. Before right. we don't know what happens afterwards, but do you hear that? How that's right? And this is not an earth-shakingly different thing than what a lot of preachers already do. I'm just calling attention to the power. I guess to the power of right. Something. Well, I think intuitively there are these things that that people know via their own illustrations or anecdotes that be able, that helps people, you know, draw them in in these short little segments. And I'm, I can see that in my own preaching. Like, okay, I'm, I'm going to tell the story and even even just a sub detail of the story right um so for instance like i would um t- talk about when we moved to georgia and we were the, we, had, uh, we were finally unpacking and it was just a crazy time in our life and we finally found a park that was close to our house and as we were walking you know it was like the birds were singing i was pushing georgia on her stroller and it's like somebody could have 
song it's a wonderful life right over the top of all of us it was just right. everything was right right and then next thing i know i see my son titus who is in a, on a bike and training wheels and he starts going down a hill and instead of pushing back on the brakes his feet go wide out to the side no 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 going down faster and faster and he's headed towards a creek and i'm there in my stroller with the stroller with the kids and i have to c- catch up with them so i'm oh. pushing and you might not realize there's actually like a, a top off speed for a stroller it only can go yeah. so fast right i know oh, the stroller shaking and as titus goes down i jump and i knock him off of his bike and as i knock him off the bike before he hits the stream i'm worried that he's hurt and as he he jumps up and he says that was awesome <laughs> <laughs> it looks yeah. back at my wife, who I'm hoping saw everything that I just did very heroically. <laughs> he then says, Mommy, did you see that? I saved myself. <laughs> I think, you are a little bum. I saved your life. <laughs> right. well, that's, yeah. a, that's a story yeah, I yeah. use. It, yeah. Yeah. It's about justifying grace and like uh-huh. it's not necessarily, okay. you know, it's, okay. it's God's work for us. We just don't realize. Right. But right. that story itself, well, there's three scenes in that story. Right. And now maybe it's overdone. Uh, me being worn out from a move, right. unpacking, finally getting to a park, having a beautiful moment with my family. Like that's a scene itself. The trouble comes. All of a sudden, my son is headed for an accident. And then the resolution that he's okay. And I could just say, well, one time I saved my son's life. And he thought that it was that he did it and not me. Yeah. Right? And, and aren't we like that with God? Right. Oh, amen. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you could just put it right out there. My the, the theme for my sermon today is we didn't do it all ourselves. Amen. I take from my text. Da, 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 da. Uh, and, and then you just put it right out there. But in this case, you tell the story and then you pull, pull it out. Uh, that's why it's so important to have that clear because you can use that scene or that story um, to make seven points. Right. Oh, sure. That um, don't get too secure, right? right. Be vigilant. <laughs> Be vigilant. Um, uh, you could. I, I can't think of any others at the moment, but yeah. you can. You can. So well, you can think of like yeah. There's 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 several moments that too are like you know w- me wanting the approval of my wife. I mean, why? Right. 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 And you know, I was frustrated in that moment. I didn't get recognized. Right. Like, right. Yeah. Exactly. I want my okay, wife to see what I'm doing. Right. I want and to so be you would then, you would then tailor it. And shorten, shave certain parts of it, prune them, and focus on the details related to that particular impact, right? Right. Right. Part of me, it thinks like, well, why do I need to say that? But I mean, ultimately, like, why do I need to start with the fact that I'm, I'm moving? It's an right. unnecessary detail. Maybe. But all to, altogether, like, I'm trying to draw people in. Like, I'm trying to give people some kind of a feeling that maybe they maybe they, they had a point in their life where they are finally to a place where they made it to the right. park. I mean, right. Right. like. Making it to the park is a, is a, can be a sermon idea in itself. Like, you know, right. you finally, you're on the other side of a storm and you might not be there, but don't right. worry, you're going to get to the park. Right. Right. And um, the, um, I was just looking for one other thing here. If I can't find it, that's okay. I'll tell another one that you helped me with. Yeah, while you tell me, tell me. Uh, tell you me. helped me and I've used this story a few times. I think it may have made its way into my uh, my book on, on Acts was... Um, hmm. Uh, I was I was presenting in Sweden at an international conference, and, I, and you helped me think through that message. And it was um, I, I retold the story of the Fry family and the people who are on, engaged here know about this, the Salvation Army, the Fry family, the mm-hmm. first the brass musicians in the Salvation Army. Mm-hmm. And you know, I told I told that story about their, the idea is like there's these contractors, they're Methodist preachers, they they're not no the Methodist lay people, and they had a string quartet and a brass quartet amongst their family. Mm-hmm. But they decided to use their the gifts to help the Salvation Army because the Salvation Army's message wasn't being heard because people were throwing, you know, food at them and like their street corner meetings couldn't happen. But these burly guys came in and they played their brass instruments. But what I did in that moment, like you helped me do, is like thinking about that family sitting on a curb, waiting for the opportunity to for for their dad to come. Oh, we've got to play another gig. Oh, d- dad wants us to help us with this Salvation Army group or something. So here you are like creating this moment. Uh, so people might, I've, I've used that story quite a bit, but I, you, I think you can see all of our listeners as you're getting into this, like that there's more t- that we can do to draw people in and hopefully engaging some of those emotions will help us get people to participate in the story. Ultimately, like that's what we're trying to do. 
draw them into our, oh, drama, our into our drama. Yeah, and to step back from that, then to work on our skills of what I've called the knack for noticing, right? Mm, right. The ability to to look around, um, have this have this sense, have the respect for your own everyday experiences. And I know that's another Salvation Army emphasis. I, I understand the sacramental quality of all. Right, right, yeah. life, right. God is everywhere, uh, and so. Um, being on the lookout for those occasions, uh, preachable occasions in our everyday life, in the text, in uh, life around us, is sort of the prelude to. Because you might have just let forgotten that moment with your son; it was pretty dramatic. Right. But you remembered it and and used it. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and, and I think one of the things that you had me do, and I I still do it to a certain extent, is keep a journal going. You know, like uh, where what 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 did I need to notice today? You know, what was what was something that, and not just for the sake of sermons though it does come in handy for that too uh right. you know just being aware of what what is god doing around me today and what what is that that can be used to help draw people into the story right right the um so i mentioned um that stories can come from different places so i kind of think of them as story buckets or scene okay. buckets so okay. it's like personal personal scenes um yeah. scenes from history which we don't always I think we could do more with those a lot of really cool stories about how hymns came to be written. Sure. What else? Uh, stories from family with their permission. Stories from literature. Um, uh, all over the place. But um, this is a story that I have used about Catherine Booth, which I'm sure okay. I would think is probably quite told quite frequently. I don't know. We'll see but, what it is. Yeah. Well, I first I talk about her history, which all your listeners already know. But then uh, I say... Um, on Pentecost 1860 at Bethesda Chapel in Gateshead, right. England, as the service was concluding, she signaled to her minister husband, William Booth, who was standing at the front, that she wanted to say a word. Yes. You know, coming. She later reports that a strange compulsion seized me. I felt I must rise and speak. An inner voice taunted me. Oh, you will look like a fool. You will have nothing to say. I recognize this as the devil's voice. And I replied, that is just the point. I have never yet been willing to be a fool for Christ, and now I will be one. Amen. So that's a that's not very long, right? And you I could do know. a lot with that, right? Which voice do you listen to? Um, will you seize the moment? Uh, depending on how you set it up and what you do with it, that I think historical stories sometimes we under under um, at least in sermons like yeah, sure. Well, there's so much more we could talk about. I, I've yep. been asking people this question, and I haven't quite, and you might be able to help me craft it better, the question, but um, I ask people at the end of each podcast now, is there more to the story of Alice McKenzie than it's usual heard, usually heard? What would that be? Do you like to oh, scuba yeah. dive? or oh, yeah. oh, oh, oh. More to Alice's story. What, what, what's oh, okay. Story? I know you make some healthy uh, chocolate chip cookies, too. But, I did. I did. I did. Uh, well, in, in other words, what do I do for fun? Sure. Yeah. What, what there's more that people might like to know about you? That you uh, like well, I'm working on this book on preaching and humor. So okay. uh, yeah, it's called a funny thing happened on the way to the pulpit. Okay. Very excited about this because uh, it's helping me to realize I always thought that my sense of humor was frivolous and sort of something that, you know, I should tamp down. And it helps me to realize that we all need to lighten up in the best sense of the word. So there's that going on. Okay. Uh, I have two grandchildren, uh, little boys, seven and three. Okay. And just got a great story from the little one today. His grandpa took him to feed the ducks with his little bag of, tell me if this would preach. So little Silas is three. He gets to the duck pond and he says, today, I do not want to feed the ducks. I want to be a duck. And he went and sat on a bench and ate all his bread. <laughs> This could be like a great story to set next to Jesus feeding the 5,000 each other. So um, anyway, family is fun. Uh, we're doing some travel this summer to Seattle and Colorado. So, oh, great. Yeah. So um, I'm having a good time learning to teach online. So yeah. life is good. Well, thanks so much for your time and for your ministry of you know helping prepare preachers through Perkins, but also through your writing and your work at the academy. I know too you have the the center that you, you lead too. You want to mention that real yeah, quick? Sure. It's called the Center for Preaching Excellence at SMU, and if you go on our website, we have a number of interviews, and uh, we also have what's called must reads um, interviews with authors of recent books on preaching. So, okay. and there's also, if anybody is a lectionary preacher, there are posts every week on the Old and New Testament lectionary texts. Okay, so, great. Yeah, so. 
Thanks well, for having me. Absolutely. It's our, yeah. been our privilege. And those of you who are watching, you know, we encourage you to subscribe here on YouTube or on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever it is, and look up Dr. McKenzie. I know you'd be blessed through the work that she's done. Thanks so much. Thank you. It's been a privilege.